Well, good evening, everyone. Well, tonight, like the uh, children of Israel who wander in the wilderness for 40 years, we have been on a long journey in the book of Exodus for the past, what, almost two years? And uh, as the Lord, during that time, led them to many different places with different significances, uh, tonight we are led to the end of chapter 30. It is, uh, in some way, the conclusion of the Lord's revelation concerning His tabernacle on the earth. And that leads us tonight to a topic called the incense. Uh, this topic is very deep, very experiential. It is more experiential than it is doctrinal. Uh, however, in order for us to have the experience of the incense... And I would say this, the Bible shows us that God desperately desires that we would burn the incense, as uh, the end of Exodus chapter 30 shows us. We have to begin at least to look at it, to study it, to read about it, to consider it. And by doing so, the Lord will uh, have a way to bring us into this experience, okay? So with that, we'll begin. Um... And I always like to begin this way when I talk about things in the Bible. And I find it, it is especially true when we talk about topics that are quite deep and important. That we should always begin with the central thought of the Bible. Okay? And I hope you will never forget this. That whatever topic, whatever verses, whatever stories, whatever uh, person you're looking at, you're studying in the Bible... You have to always keep in mind, the Bible has a central thought. And everything in the Bible somehow must fit into this thought. It is explained by this thought. It is made sense by this thought. And without this thought, the Bible would fall apart. So what is the central thought of the Bible? And you may have heard this before, and I believe this is worth repeating as many times as possible. Roman number one says the central thought of the Bible is God's eternal purpose. And, and, it's not just good enough that God has an eternal purpose. But there's also something quite necessary to go along with that. And the fulfillment of His purpose. You may have a purpose, but it needs to be fulfilled. It needs to be carried out. Otherwise, it only stays as a dream, as a thought, as a desire, as an intention, and not a reality. So for God's purpose to be fully realized, there's a need for it to be fulfilled. And this central thought of God's eternal purpose and the fulfillment of this purpose is clearly revealed in the New Testament. The 27 books in the New Testament over and over again unequivocally, clearly reveals to us God has an eternal purpose. I hope some of you would know some of these verses. There are probably 5, 6, 7, 8, 10 verses at least. There's some choice verses you should know. Clearly even using the word eternal purpose. There's one right here on the sheet. Okay? Now, the wonderful thing is, not only does the New Testament clearly reveal this, but the Old Testament 
falling in line with this, falling in line with God's purpose and the fulfillment of his purpose, the Old Testament richly typifies God's purpose. In a sense, the Old Testament is like a picture. And as the cliche goes, a picture is worth a thousand words. So the Old Testament is there serving as a type, an example, a picture, a prefigure, a foreshadow of the abstract, deep thoughts in the New Testament concerning God's purpose. The Old Testament is serving as a photo worth a thousand words so that we can have a clearer seeing, a clearer understanding, a clearer appreciation of what is God's eternal purpose. And so that is why we have labored carefully on the book of Exodus. Because the book of Exodus is one of the best books in the Old Testament that lays out to us God's purpose. It's quite wonderful. What do we see here? We see that God has a chosen people. Israel typifies us. And Paul makes no bones about it when he writes in 1 Corinthians. When he talks about them in chapter 10, he said these things were written as examples for us. He brings us right back into the stories of Exodus. So the children of Israel represent us. And God desires us for his purpose. But what happened to us? We were caught in sin, enslaved, under Satan, bondage in the world, working, making bricks without straws. So God needs to rescue us. He heard our cries. He sees our anguish. So God comes in to rescue us. He brings us out. How? By the blood of the Lamb. Passing over our sins. Then, He brings us to a crisis called the Red Sea. The crisis of baptism. And we got baptized. I hope everyone in this room has been baptized. If you're not, then you're still at a crisis. God needs us to cross the Red Sea to fully get out of Egypt. Fully be released from Satan's hold on us. From the world's grip on us. So he brought the children of Israel through the Red Sea. And Paul said, what was that? That is a picture, a type, an example of our baptism that fully releases us so that we can eat spiritually and drink spiritually. And the children of Israel here, as a nation, they typify that God desires a bride. He wants a counterpart. And so in Jeremiah, for example, God considers his time with them in the wilderness, if you go up in Jeremiah 2, 2, that that time was his bridal days. That's what he calls those times. They were a bridal days to him. He was the bridegroom with his bride. He was courting them through his commandments, making known of himself to them, to attract them, to draw them, to woo them, to capture them. And they would be attracted to their husband who made them. And eventually God led them further to the tabernacle. And what is the tabernacle? Well, the tabernacle shows us that in addition to God desiring his people to be his bride, he wants a dwelling place. He wants to dwell in and among his people. And as such, they would know how to worship him, 
They would know how to serve Him so that they can be built up in Him. And God and man could mutually have a dwelling place on the earth. So the tabernacle was no small thing. And this semester I appreciate We've been through all the different things in the tabernacle to show us how we can worship God, serve God, be built up with God so that He could have a dwelling place. So in Roman number two, it says, toward the end of the section concerned with the revelation of the tabernacle, that's in chapter 30, two things are described, the anointing oil and the incense. The anointing oil is Christ as God coming to us from God. And the incense is Christ going from us to God in prayer. The burning of the incense simultaneously satisfies God and carries out his administration. And so last week, I believe those of you who are here, there was a speaking on the compound anointing oil. That is God's coming to us. That is his purpose. He wants to flow himself to us. God desires to flow to man. So that we can participate in who he is. Not only does he want to paint us, like the illustration last week, but eventually, God's painting of us causes us to become the paint itself. That we will participate in the very divine elements of God. But that is not the only thing God desires. That from the heavens there would be this traffic to the earth to man. But God desires that there would be a two-way traffic from man back to God. And that traffic is the burning of the incense. So toward the end there of Genesis chapter 30, there is an instruction given to Moses concerning the incense. And right now, let us read, um, how about brothers on Ephesians 5, sisters on Exodus 29, and then everybody together on Exodus 30. Ready, go, brothers. So what we have to see here, the significance of the incense, is the incense is a smoke that ascends to God, that the priests were commanded to burn at the second altar, the golden altar of incense. 
And when this smoke ascends to God, it satisfies Him. It pleases Him. It delights Him. And simultaneously, when this incense ascends to God, it fulfills his economy. It carries out his administration. It causes the throne in the heavens to respond to the golden altar on the earth. We know that because in Revelation 8, when the saints are praying, it says here, another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer and much incense was given to him, capital him, to offer with the prayers of the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. So first thing you have to notice here is the incense and the prayer are two different things. They're not the same thing. What God needs is when we pray that there will be incense added to it. And it is this incense that ascends to God that satisfies him and carries out his administration. And it says in verse 4, And the smoke of the incense went up with, with the prayers of the saints out of the hand of the angel before God. This is Christ. And the angel, Christ, took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and cast it to the earth. And there were thunders and voices and lightnings and earthquake. What does this mean? This means when the incense arise, ascends with the prayers of the saints to the throne of God, the throne reacts. The throne responds to this incense. And something happens on the earth for God to carry out his administration, to execute his purpose on the earth. So what God desires is that we would pray in a way that is just not merely our prayer, but is prayer with incense. It is not our prayer that ascends to the throne. It is the incense that ascends to the throne. And according to the description here in Exodus 30, this incense was composed of fragrant spices, aromatic not odorous spices, fragrant spices. It was something pleasing, something delightful. Very similar to the bronze altar that when God commanded that they would offer an offering of sin or of trespass or a burnt offering, that from the altar, the bronze altar, a fragrance would ascend, satisfying to Jehovah. That same fire that burned on the bronze altar, it's the same fire that burns on the golden incense altar that causes the fragrant spices to also ascend. And in the same principle, when it ascends, it is a sweet, delightful fragrant that satisfies God. And that fragrant is none other than Christ. There's only one thing well, more accurately, you could say there's only one person in this universe that satisfies God, and that is His Son, Jesus Christ. 
when the Lord was baptized and He came up out of the water, there was a voice in the heaven as the Spirit was descending. And it says, this is my Son in whom I have found my delight. And there are other places in the Gospel where the Father declares from the heaven, this is the one in whom I am well pleased. God makes known to us there is only one item in this universe that he is well pleased with, and that is his Son Christ. And so I like Ephesians 5 too. It says, And walk in love, even as Christ also loved us and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. When Christ offered himself to God on the cross, the judgmental fire of God consumed him as a vicarious sacrifice for our sin. And from that judgment that bare down upon him, there came forth a sweet-smelling savor that ascended to please God. So the sweetness of these fragrance signifies Christ in his resurrection and in his ascension. How do we know this? Because at the bronze altar, the priests were instructed to offer the sacrifices for their shortcomings, their defects. All the negative things were solved at the bronze altar. If you committed a sin, if you broke an ordinance, if you violated God's commandment, you could go to the priest and he would offer a sacrifice for you at the, at the, gold, at the bronze altar. That was an offering to God. But there was no offering at the golden altar of incense. There was only the burning of the incense. So the bronze altar signifies the judicial aspect of Christ's work for us. Going to the cross to redeem us so that he can solve our negative problems before God. But at the incense altar, there's no offering there. The offering's already done. After the Christ offered himself on the cross, the next step was resurrection and ascension. And so the incense here signifies Christ in resurrection and ascension with all that he has accomplished as a sweet fragrant to satisfy God. And when this Christ is added with our prayers and causes our prayer to ascend to God, not only does it satisfy God, but God reacts to this. The throne reacts to this. And the desire of the throne in the heaven is executed on the earth. Because God not only has a purpose, he wants to fulfill that purpose. So he's waiting. He's waiting for something to come up to ascend so that he can react in his administration to execute his fulfillment on the earth. Okay, in Roman number three, let's read this together. This gives us a really clear picture of what the burning of the incense is. And so I will say the burning of the incense, and then you will re-a, so forth, 
And I would say the burning of the incense is, and then you read B and so forth. And let's just go through here, and I may make a few comments after that. Ready? The burning of the incense is... The burning of the incense is the burning of incense is the burning of the incense is. The burning of the incense is And finally, the burning of the incense is Now, honestly, we check with ourselves when we pray our prayer comes short of this. And because it comes short of this, there's no incense added to the prayer. And so maybe the Lord answers our prayer, and maybe He doesn't answer our prayer. Or maybe He answers it with a no. You know, just because we pray for something, it doesn't happen, doesn't mean He didn't answer it. He did. He said no. Lord, I would like a Ferrari. Lord, please give me a Ferrari. I desire a fast red car. I didn't get it. So I complain. God doesn't answer prayers. He did. He said, no. Lord, I want to buy this shirt. Oh, it's a nice shirt. Lord, can I buy this shirt? It's a great shirt. It's on sale. It looks great. It's pure. It's white. It's, it's a good deal. Can I get it? He may say, no. Your prayer was answered. But we are not talking about that kind of prayer. Surely we are not discouraging anyone from praying that way, but you have to realize at some point in my life, at some point this year, this semester, this month, this week, at some point today, who will pray for God's purpose to be fulfilled on the earth? Lord, I'm concerned with my grades. He is too. I'm concerned with my health. He is too. But is anyone concerned for the fulfillment of God's purpose on the earth? Surely we need to pray for so many things. But at some point, at some point, we need to pray for His purpose. He is waiting for the incense to ascend so that He can execute His administration on the earth. You know, the fact that the incense here is spoken to us in Exodus with the tabernacle is very significant. The tabernacle, unlike the temple, was a movable structure. In typology, it represents the moving God with his moving people. God is on the move because he has a move and he wants to fulfill his move on the earth. So he's shown us a way. He said, look, Here's his pattern. 
Here's a revelation. And what I'm trying to tell you is, I'm on the move. I'm trying to do something. And you're moving with me. And the very last item, after everything is established and we're ready to move, we're ready to go. So now you got to stick the key in the, the ignition and turn it on. So here's the key to turn that engine on. I need the burning of the incense. So we are honest many times when we pray, we are praying for ourselves. We are praying for our concerns. But not just that. More importantly, when we pray, it's not the aroma of Christ. It's not a sweet fragrance. Oftentimes when we pray, maybe it sounds right. Maybe the tone was right. Maybe the words were right. But the aroma was wrong. In fact, it wasn't an aroma. It was an offensive odor to God. Maybe in our hearts we were biased. Maybe there was a motive, an ulterior intention, a naturalness, something of the fallen human being still there, not fully cleared out of our being yet. Some impurities. What we have to realize is the incense is to have prayers from deep within our being that is the expression of Christ. And this expression comes from our enjoyment and experience of Christ that have been wrought into us. It's not merely just the Christ we have enjoyed, but God wants to rot this Christ into us. Because the truth is, even though I enjoy something of the Lord, I see something of the Word, I hear something in the meeting, I'm still quite natural. I'm still quite fallen. So I'm a fallen human being with an enjoyment of Christ. So if I try to offer that to the Lord, Lord, here, I enjoy this. I saw this of you today. But that offering has some impurities to it. And so what God has to do is he has to take that enjoyment and it has to be beaten and burnt and ground into our being. Meaning what? We need a further a deeper work of God in us to rot that enjoyment, that experience of Christ into us. And then eventually, it is that very Christ that's beaten and burned and rot into us that automatically comes forth as we are praying that becomes incense to cause our prayer to ascend to God. This is not an easy matter. As I speak to you, I am a learner just like you. This is a matter that requires much experience. It is very deep. But we cannot wait until we're 40 or 60 or 80 to have this because it doesn't work that way. We have to start now. And we can have little experience of it now. And the Lord can take us further step by step and perfect us in our prayer so that when we pray, there's less of us and more of Christ. Sometimes, you know, when I pray, I'll be honest with you, when I pray, sometimes I don't feel good. I've had the experience. I know you had the experience. I've been with some brothers, you know, in a meeting, we pray together. And I pray, and 
I don't know why, I just don't feel good afterward. There's not a sense of like alive, aliveness, you know, vivacity. It's just, ah, I bother. Something's just bothering me. Those of you who've had this experience, you, you understand. Those of you who won't, you will. I promise you. And so I consider, what happened? Was it the word I said? Was it my tone that was off? Was I too loud? Was I too quiet? Was I too excited? Was I not excited enough? That's the point. It's all about me. I this, I that, my this, my that. My prayer is tainted with my impurities, my very being. I'm not perfect. I'm full of sin and defects and faults and weaknesses. And when I pray, these things infect them. And afterwards, there's no sense of sweetness. Nothing ascends. And there's no way for God to carry out his administration on the earth. So the incense is not what we said or what we didn't say. It's not our eloquence or our lack of it. It's not how much emotion we put into it, how loud we were, how quiet we were. It's not the incense. The incense is the Christ that we have enjoyed and experienced that God wants to just not superficially paint us with it, but he burns it into our being so that it becomes deep within us a part of our being. And then as we pray, spontaneously, something from deep within our spirit comes forth. And it's not a question of what it sounded like, what was the tone like, how loud it was, but that very utterance that comes forth, that is Christ from our spirit as the incense that ascends to God for his satisfaction and simultaneously carries out his administration. Okay? So because, because we have these experiences, which, by the way, are normal, we need the ingredients of the incense to be added with salt. So it says here, the seasoning of the four ingredients, that's the stack tea, Annika, galbanum, and frankincense that made the incense. The four ingredients of the incense with salt signifies that our prayer needs to be salted by the cross so that all the impurities and bias within us may be killed. And so I don't have time to get into all the spices and what they mean, but their meaning is when we examine these three spices with frankincense, the overall meaning is that the incense typifies the death and resurrection of Christ. And then this Christ is salted. Salt is added to it. And in the Bible, salt in function is a killing element. Salt kills germs. And so what this means is when we touch this Christ with the salt, which is the killing, the killing of the cross, then it has a way to begin to kill the impurities in our being, terminates the bias 
the prejudices, the natural affection, the natural energy, the natural man, the natural thought, the natural way in us, so that something pure, something of incense comes forth. Again, this is a deep experience. It's a very experiential matter. But we have to talk about it because it's there in the Word for us to see. And by beginning to look at it, the Lord will have a way to bring us into this. So finally, we'll end with this. And I like this last point because this last point shows us that no matter how old we are or whatever stage in our Christian life we are in, we all can begin to have the experience of burning the incense. So in Roman number 5 it says, The golden incense altar is the last station of the tabernacle, indicating that the burning of the incense is last because it is the result and issue of the foregoing stations, typifying our offering, enjoyment, nourishment of Christ, beginning at the bronze altar. And so what is interesting in the Old Testament is, oftentimes, the two altars, the bronze altars right before you enter into the tabernacle, and the incense altar deep within the tabernacle, they're usually mentioned together. And the reason why they're mentioned together because they are related to each other. And so here in Psalms 84.3, it says, At your two altars, even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself. So what does this mean? Well, what we want is we want to get to the incense altar. The golden incense altar is my goal. I want to pray in a way where I know, I believe, that I have made it to the incense altar, the golden incense altar, because it is there that the burning of the incense takes place. But the truth is, none of us go straight to the golden incense altar. None of us. We all begin at the bronze altar. And the bronze altar is mainly to take care of every negative thing that keeps us from God and does not allow us to enter into the tabernacle. So at the bronze altar, what do we do there? We offer Christ as our all-inclusive solution to God. The children of Israel were commanded to offer Christ as this sin offering, to deal with our sin nature, as a trespass offering, an unlimited trespass offering for all of our defects, faults, our wrongdoings, and so forth. As a peace offering, to have peace between God and man. As a burnt offering, as the absolute one who's absent for God, because we are not. We are not absolute for God. We think about ourselves. But we don't have to worry about that because there's a burnt offering that God has given us. And we can offer this to God and say, God, I know I'm not for you. I know I think about myself a lot most of the day. In fact, I think more about myself than I think about you. But it's okay because you've given me Christ as my burnt offering and I offer him to you. Thank you in this universe there has been one person who was absolutely for you, Father. I love him too and I offer him to you. He is my burnt offering to you. Then we offer him as a wave offering in resurrection, a heave offering in ascension, and finally as a drink offering, pour out, completely, spent, not holding anything back, as wine to cheer both God and man. So we have to learn as believers to begin our prayer 
at the bronze altar. What does this mean? Well, it means that we may pray something like this. Maybe in the morning, you may wake up in the morning and you may pray, Lord, I love you today. Cleanse me from this night. Thank you for a brand new start. Well, wash me in the blood of the Lamb. Thank you, you've given him as my sin offering. That's a good way to start prayer. Maybe I showed up and I sense I'm not really for him. So that I may continue to pray, Lord, forgive me, I'm not for you. I need Christ because he is for you. And here's the thing about the bronze altar. Not only were they offered it and the fire consumed the offering and, it, and the sweet fragrance sent to God, but the priests were commanded to eat that offering. Did you know that? They ate the offering. So when we offer it to God, part of that offering gets into us as well. It's not just an offering for God, but we also eat the offering. So the fa Father, here is the absolute one for you, but I also eat this absolute one, so I can become absolute for you. So when we pray this way, then eventually, as we pray this way, there's a way for us to enter into the tabernacle, and we may get to the Word. Because the showbread table shows us that we can have a further eating, not just at the bronze altar, but in the Word. You may be led to pray with your verse. And as you pray with that verse, some light will come, shining from the lampstand. And that will lead us further to the ark where you sense, I'm touching the Lord right now. I sense the Lord right now. And then from the ark, we are led to the incense altar. And when we are, something of Christ in our prayers will come forth deep within us. And that Christ in resurrection and ascension is a sweet fragrance to God that ascends to satisfy Him. And at the same time, it will fulfill and carry out his administration on the earth. So this is what God desires today. He desires that we would burn the incense. And we should not feel bad about this. We should not, listen, I just say this. Analyzing how we pray and what we say will not solve anything. Because that's still us. Do you understand? You can't pick up new vocabularies and pick up new intonation and say, oh, I think I uh, pray better. No. The incense is nothing of us. The incense is Christ that has been wrought deep into our being by us enjoying him and being nourished with him and experiencing him day by day. And then when we pray spontaneously, that incense comes forth. And it doesn't matter whether it's eloquent or not, but there's incense there. And it is that incense that God desires us to burn so that he can fulfill his purpose on the earth, okay? All right. Let's take a minute and pray with those sitting near you, and then we can conclude the time with a short little reading here in the back, okay? Okay.